0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Lissy Hu, and she is the founder and CEO of Careport. So Lissy came up with the idea for Careport while she was getting her MD, MBA at Harvard, and what a program that is. So she entered and won the Harvard Business Plan Competition in 2012. And in that same year, got $3.8 million of funding through Techstars Boston, allowing her to launch CarePort in 2013. So the company built out its software, which patients basically used to find a post-acute provider and hospitals used to track patient outcomes. In 2016, national healthcare IT company Allscripts, which is on the NASDAQ, acquired CarePort. And Careport Software is now available both as a standalone product and integrated into Allscripts platform. It is used by a thousand hospitals, 20,000 post-acute care facilities and Lissy now runs both the Careport Business Unit and the larger Allscripts Care Coordination Unit which rolled under the Careport name this year, so I hope you enjoy this episode. So Lissy, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Or oh, well, I say morning. It's not even morning for me. Is it morning for you? I think it's morning for you.
1: It is morning for me. Thank <laughs> you for being my time zone centric. I am I am doing well. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Great to have you. So uh, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Lissy?
1: I am speaking to you from Boston, Massachusetts um, in the United States. And uh, it's uh, there are only a, a a couple months of the year where the weather is pleasant and uh, today's actually a really nice day in Boston.
0: (laughs) That sounds. And
1: I uh, had my coffee. So great,
0: win. great. Well, that's important. But no, the uh, the weather in New England sounds like the weather in this England, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> if it's only nice for a, <laughs> for a couple of months a year, I don't know, that's probably not the reason that they named it that way. But anyway, um, so listen, listen, it's it's great to have you on. I really, really, genuinely mean that. I've um, I've been doing a bit of a uh, bit of googling, obviously, and come across a few of your videos online and, and lots about your company and yourself. And you've got an incredible background that I look really looking forward to getting into and, and obviously running a, a pretty good company in the health tech space as well. So it'd be great uh, for our audience and myself, in fact, if you could tell a little bit of your story for us, Lissy.
1: Sure. Uh, so I think like a lot of uh, physician entrepreneurs, um, it's not exactly the the path that that I saw for myself when I was setting out I for the longest time had always wanted to be a doctor, a physician, taking care of patients. Um, I thought, you know, that was a type of career that would have a lot of meaning uh, be, to be able to help people so directly. And, um, and that's why I went to medicine. Uh, and as I started to train in medicine, um, I had a variety of experiences that I would say opened my eyes to some of the more uh, system level problems of healthcare and the importance of how healthcare is being delivered in terms of impacting patient outcomes. Uh, And so I decided to pursue a joint MD MBA program when I was in medical school at Harvard. And one of the things that I became very interested in was the space of post-hospital care. What happens to patients when they leave? What are the types of services that they need? How do we connect them? Uh, and that's how I became interested in the space that my company is in which is post hospital care coordination And I had this idea in uh, in when I was pursuing my mdmba There was a business plan competition at harvard and I entered this idea into the business competition And we won and from there I I ran a couple of pilots with hospitals that went really well and then the company was born. So um, so a lot of it has just been being open to, uh, to what life I guess gives you and, uh, and being really passionate about the space that you're in. And that's how I became the the CEO of Careport.
0: Wow. An incredibly, uh, efficient run through of what requires, I think a lot of, uh, a color to be added here because <laughs> not least because you dropped in very, uh, very quickly, the fact that you've done a joint MD and MBA at Harvard, that is actually something I didn't even realize was possible. So if I've got this right, they take medical students from Harvard Medical School and they give you the chance to do an MBA at the same time.
1: That's right. That's right. And they, uh, the, the thinking behind the program is training physician leaders. And in the US, medicine is a practice. But it's also a business, and they want leaders that have the clinical background, but also, I think, as importantly, have that business background. So it was very much focused on physicians who were interested in the larger practice of medicine, the system of delivery of care, and how do you bring your clinical background, your relationships with your patients, those experiences. To informing, designing and running the systems that 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 deliver the actual care yeah. uh, and all the all the pieces around that.
0: Wow. I'm just gonna say, you know, if there's any deans of medical schools listening here in the UK, that is something that I think needs to be actioned immediately in the UK because. I I just genuinely have believed for a long time. I think I actually wrote a blog on this about 10 years ago about how stratifying medical students into their certain interests would be such a good play because there are going to be those that are more leadership-based. There are going to be those that are more clinically-based, that are more, more managerially-based. You know, there's definite talents to people early on that can be I don't know. Exploit is the wrong word, but you know, allowing those people to actually go down those routes and 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 make the most of their talent is—I mean, look where it's led for you, right? And so after the well, after this MBA, you, so you then you entered the idea into a competition. Have I got that right?
1: That's right. That's right. There's a annual competition every year uh, that Harvard runs, and it's out of the business school. Although any 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 student yeah. across Harvard can enter.
0: And the standard there must be outrageously high <laughs> of, of, <laughs> of ideas and of I mean, I suppose even execution at, at that level. Especially if you've got people that have got the, the ground floor experience of healthcare from the medical school as well as the, the business school. I imagine your cohort of uh, of, of fellow um, applicants was was pretty high level in terms of the uh, in terms of the standards.
1: I, I I think so, and I think the way that Harvard runs its competition was also interesting. It's certainly a competition where different ideas are compared against one another, but the but Harvard really placed, placed a lot of emphasis on the process as well. And so they had a, a they had workshops, they had resources to help you develop that idea, and in some ways, I would say. And I think a lot of the, the the people who who participate in the competition would say that a lot of the benefit is is the, going through the, the the rigor and discipline of how do I take an idea and build that into a business? What's my revenue model? How do I think about how I'm going to operationalize this? Who are my customers? What is the value proposition? Mm. What are they doing currently? So you know, I think it's easy to to fall in love with your idea. But it's really, in any business, all about execution and yeah. taking what you're hearing from the market, iterating. And so that's the discipline that the business competition takes you through, which I think is helpful to certainly the winners because you get the funding to go forward. But but for anybody that's that's thinking about building a company.
0: I absolutely agree. And I think one thing about that for me is that I I can remember at medical school and, and, you know, my first years as a junior doctor, having loads of ideas and me in my Mm -hmm. own head thinking that I was the best, best entrepreneur in the world, because I just had all these amazing ideas. And if I was in charge, I'd do this. And if I was in charge, I'd do that. And that was kind of my mindset, (laughs) you know? Um, but I think what, what this obviously does, it gets you to put your, not necessarily your money where your mouth is, but certainly your ability to execute where your mouth is. And actually having that learning of, of, as you say, what's your revenue model? How are you actually going to get people to pay for this? What problem does it actually solve for people? How are you going to get this adopted? How are you going to convince all of these different people to actually use it? All of those things are actually, you know, you're, you're being met with those questions and you're having to to, to go through that at uh, that early stage of of idea even and i know you guys do medical school a little bit later to us but I, I still think there'd be so much value of doing this here in the uk but um i'm not gonna dwell on that too much i'll probably just email a few people afterwards but anyway um <laughs> so so you won so you won this competition and prior to this I mean had you got any Entrepreneurial experience? Did you were you one of these people that was selling, you know, candy in the playground at school, or doing a paper? Were you one of those that was always going to be a business person, or was this your first business plan that you wrote for this?
1: This was my first business plan, and James. I mean, I hadn't even sold Girl Scout cookies. Uh, <laughs> growing so this up. is great so, because
0: there's so many people that believe you're a born entrepreneur, and and you know you can only start a business if you were the kid that was flipping you know chocolate or something right. in the plate. Yeah, like it, it's not necessarily <laughs> true, though, right? Clearly, no,
1: it's it's not. And I I had no sales background, Um, and and I think that in at least in the U.S. there's even a bit of culture of, I would say, general suspicion of business when, when you're in medical school, when you are pursuing yeah. uh, clinical care. Uh, I think there's, there's still sort of that culture of we're doctors, we're purists and, yeah. and the business people are, you know, have, have different interests yeah. and, and we're not aligned with that. Right. Yeah. So I mean, we I have a even, public
0: system here in the UK, right? So right. in terms of, you know, capitalism meets socialism, there is no <laughs> greater place that happens <laughs> than pharma and the NHS combining. So like we are very au fay with walking that knife edge of how do you actually improve healthcare <laughs> in a, right. a system that needs to embrace both, you know.
1: Right. And I think that in some ways that does a disservice to at least in the U.S., I think in some ways having a little bit of that suspicion um, and almost sort of telling doctors that, that they can only be doctors, I think does, does healthcare a bit of a disservice. And, and I think that oftentimes doctors are uh, have, have a very important perspective, but they also need to understand the realities of, of medicine as a business in the U S and I think equipping them with that language with, with the frameworks um, helps them be able to design solutions that are not just nonprofit solutions that rely on funding and, um, and philanthropy and make them sustainable businesses where you can truly, right. Where you can truly do good for the patient, but also be recognize the realities of, of of the practice of medicine and the need to bring in revenue and, and, and profit for it to be sustainable.
0: I love that you also said language as well, because I think that is one of the biggest barriers to different communities of people being able to actually converse and being able to influence each other positively and to come to some point of agreement. I think I genuine, and perhaps it's because I'm, I'm largely in communications now, but I do believe that language is, is a, is a real barrier. I can remember when I was doing a, you know, when I was a doctor, I was shadowing chief execs and I was shadowing finance Mm. and I was, I was trying to learn that side. And that was the biggest thing for me actually, which was that I gained so much respect from that side, because all of a sudden when I came up against the management and there is a bit of a them and us with clinicians and managers, as you well know, but like when you can genuinely speak their language and you can speak in like, yeah, but look, we're going to save this amount of bed days and you know, bed days is a currency that they understand. And like all of a sudden it's, there's this respect and there's this, there's more empathy and you're able to genuinely have a conversation with people. And it's not that, that, that friction. And it's not that kind of them and us, as I said, you know, it's, I think, oh, yeah, I agree that language is- so Right, good. There's,
1: you can find that win-win. Yes. Right, and so so I think that in many ways um, was the benefit of a program like the MD, md MBA. I think that was the benefit of going through a process like the Harvard Business Plan Competition was being able to tie together the clinical and the business side and come up with an idea where it was a win-win for mm-hmm. patients in our case a lot of the times in the U.S., patients when they leave the hospital, they need all sorts of aftercare at a rehabilitative center, such as a skilled nursing facility, or going home with visit a visiting nurse. Yeah. And the problem that I was solving was that patients really had very little visibility into that. They they get a list from the hospital of names and addresses of nursing homes, and basically it's you know choose this very important site of care with with very little information beyond beyond that. And so we put together a platform where you could search for post-hospital care, understand the quality, and continue to track that patient even after they left the hospital. And it benefited the patient because they could choose places that were better equipped to care for them so that they wouldn't just bounce back to the hospital. You know, 24, 40 hours later, it it could happen as soon as that. Uh, And for the hospital, it was beneficial because more and more in the US, they are incentivized to not just think about the health and outcomes of the patient in their own four walls, but really post discharge with things like readmissions and value based payment models. Uh, you know, they're looking at 30, 60, 90 day outcomes. Yeah. And so there was a benefit to, to to both the hospital from their business standpoint as well as for the patient in terms of outcomes.
0: Wow. And how did you come up with this? idea was it when you I I assume it was when you were I guess learning on the wards as we call it like like in practice I mean how how did you come up with this
1: yes I um certainly as as a medical student you're you're in many ways at the bottom of 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 the run and so (laughs) in many ways (laughs) of that (laughs) the benefit of that is that you do have more time to spend with with patients and their families and so often i was involved in conversations with patients and families about where mom or dad goes from the hospital you know the oh, the patient has a has a fall at home suddenly they're in the hospital and to many it comes as a surprise that they can't go back home anymore hmm. that they need that they need they need a different setting of care for for at least a couple weeks where they can recover or they may need some ongoing assistance uh, at at home. And I think for many, that decision is very scary and it's a surprise and they're seeing themselves in a new light and the hospital at the same time is trying to discharge them to the appropriate setting, get them out of the hospital in an efficient manner. And so, so those were some of the insights that I saw when I was working in the hospital on the ground level and I would have family members ask me, if this was your mom or dad, where would you send them? And I thought to myself, I really don't know. Because even I, as the, as the medical student, you know, soon to be doctor, I don't have the information. And yet, I'm in the modern world where I could book a hotel halfway around the world with more information than these patients have about the nursing home down the street. And that, to me, just seemed like a problem that that could be solved with technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And it does seem outrageous that that is even a thing. With the amount that information is democratized now, it's it's strange almost to, to think that that wasn't something that you could do. And that was a problem that you indeed needed to solve. And so I suppose... I want to talk about how you went from this idea to reality then, because I know there's obviously loads of people listening to this podcast with ideas. There's loads of people that uncover these types of problems. How did you go from, I suppose, thinking this is an idea? I know you entered the competition and and you obviously won it and, and got a bit of money from that side. I mean, Who else did you need to bring into your team to turn this into reality? What did this actually look like in terms of, you know, a software solution and how did you build it?
1: I think that for me in the coming from the U S healthcare system, it's very much about aligning incentives and thinking through this is a product that certainly there's value for the patient. I knew that right off the bat, Yeah. but what does it mean for the hospital and would they purchase a platform like this? What does it mean for the nursing home, would they purchase a, a a product like this? Because I was fundamentally at the end of the day, building a network. I needed a, I needed, I had a two-sided, I had a platform that needed hospitals on yeah. one side and post-acute care providers on the other. And so with any network business, it's you always face the chicken or egg problem. <laughs> if you don't have, if you don't have hospitals to begin with, how do you sign on nursing homes? If you don't have nursing homes, why would hospitals want to be your platform? On, on your platform, and uh, and so, what was the value proposition to other members of the healthcare ecosystem that you need to participate in order for this to go? And so, a lot of this was uh, talking with with potential clients, finding out at the hospital who this matters to, finding out at the nursing home side that they uh, who on the admissions team, you know, what tools are they already using? How would they fit? How would that fit into? And I think there's so much of a language in healthcare entrepreneurship and digital health around, around disruption. And I think that is in many ways, sometimes a bit of a red herring a, a leading people to to think that they go in there with their, with their big, great idea, and <laughs> they completely change the process. And I think in healthcare, what's often a better more helpful paradigm to think about is uh, it's incredibly complex. Here are all the players and how does my platform fit into the workflows of these existing players? What is it going to improve? What is it going to potentially make worse? And how does that all fit together? Because that's that's really the key in terms of unlocking a successful business in, in healthcare is that your platform has to benefit all of those different constituents. That's that's what makes it sticky. That's what makes it sustainable. And that's what's going to help it scale.
0: I absolutely love that. For, for Well, there's three things that you said there that I absolutely love. The the latest one there, basically the, the, the realism applied to the complexity of healthcare. And actually, once you come to terms with that, and you accept it, and you take a realist approach to that complexity, you then in your words unlock because that is the key you you're then going to unlock the ability to create a sustainable business and you're absolutely right and i think the other thing that i really liked there is that you talked about the first thing that you did being listening and you went around and listened to absolutely everybody that you thought this right. problem touched and by doing that you then learnt that that complexity but you learnt that landscape and it's one thing hearing how difficult things are and hearing how complex things are and then shying away from solving a problem. You've actually just understood the lie of the land and you've gone, "Hmm, cool, I can actually build something now because I understand the incentives of that person, that person, that person, as well as where this thing could fit in. It could fit in here and here and here. And that's not to say that you got it absolutely right first time. I'm sure it it required a few
1: changes
0: and pivots and all that sort of stuff. But by taking the approach that, I mean there comes the third thing here, you know disruption is a red herring in healthcare, potentially, you know you're not gonna have these disruptions in the same way that you do everywhere else when things are patient facing it's It's extremely right. unlikely, and so right. I just really like the fact that you've that you've that there's there's realism applied to the complexity, and that's actually what led to you being so innovative like I love that you know and a lot
1: of entrepreneurs ask me. I just don't have, or they say to me, I just don't have that great idea. You know, I wish yeah. I had that great idea. And what I, what I often say and in, in reflecting on my own journey is it's not like you wake up one day with a great idea. Correct. You know, I think sometimes that happens, but that tends to be probably more of a rare phenomenon. And most entrepreneurs that I've spoken with, successful ones as well. And in, again, my own journey would say, would speak to this is that you you find a problem, you talk with customers, potential customers, you hear from them how big of a problem it is. Yeah. And then you think about your solution, then you go out and get feedback. There's there going is. to be a lot of people who tell you, hey, that really won't work. And that's very helpful feedback. And over time, you know, you've got a company and you know that you've got a great idea. When every layer that you peel back, you just fall in love with it more and more because you learn more about the space. You think about, you know, here are all the ways that it could work. This is what it could be like today. This is what it would be like down, you know, down, down the road for us. We started with optimizing that initial transition from the hospital to the nursing home. And then very quickly we found, well, that's not the only transition that, that patients face they transition then from the nursing home back home with home health. Then there's a hospice transition. There's a whole continuum of care where people are making these, these decisions with little information and very little visibility for the rest of the care team. And so we've seen that while we began with the solving a very concrete problem of how do we get patients into nursing homes, now we've expanded to hospice, to uh, home health, long-term acute care folks need durable medical equipment at home. So oxygen, how do we get them, not just the visiting nurse, but the oxygen that they need at home. And so it just expands and expands and expands. And every time that that happens, you just get more excited. So, you know, I'm eight years into 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 this and every day I still love what I'm doing. Uh, and so that, that's, that's something I tell people is don't be afraid if if you don't have something that you're already in love with, that you don't have that great idea, just find a problem that you're interested in solving, and keep trying to solve it. And if over time you find that you're getting more and more interested, then then you have something.
0: I love that. If 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 I'm ever incapacitated and I can't host this podcast, <laughs> I'm just going to give you a call because literally, <laughs> that <laughs> for people that listen to this every week, they're just like, yeah, she's on point. She's been briefed. <laughs> um, that's that's absolutely ideal so let's talk about the product then so from a product Mm -hmm. perspective from a user perspective who who uses it who sees it and what is it like what's the what's the user journey like for someone that that's that's going to use this
1: so we have two uh, personas one is the hospital nurse that is working with the patient and the family to find the right setting for that, for that patient. Yeah. And you need the nurse to come along with you because there are things that the patient may not know that they need. Right. So some patients, for example, need, uh, dialysis on site, uh, yeah. because they, because in addition to their chronic kidney disease, they have, you know, they've had a hip fracture, but they can only go to a rehab that also has dialysis because of their chronic kidney disease. And so, aligning those criteria, those clinical criteria that the patient requires at that next setting of care, that takes engagement from from the nurse case manager at at the hospital. Uh, At the same time, ultimately, it's the patient's decision. And so you also need to engage the patient. So once you, so for us, what happens and how we bridge those two because necess- because in the beginning we said to ourselves, well, who's the real user? Is it is it the nurse or is it the patient? And how much can one do versus the other? How independent are they? Is it two different products? Is it one product? And what we found was that the nurse would go into our system and basically set up the search. So they would enter in the criteria that the, that the patient requires from a clinical perspective. And then they would send those targeted search results. So from the 15,000 nursing homes all across the US. Here are the 10, 20, 30, you know, whatever that number is that can truly meet your needs where we know that you will do well. And then from there, the the, the patient has a ha, has a more curated choice. Uh, they can choose from facilities that we already know can care for for their needs. And so that's how our platform works is it it starts with the nurse, but it quickly bridges to the patient. And then once the patient has made the selection, the information about that patient goes over to that nursing home that they've chosen. And the nursing home says, okay, we do have a bed, we can take that patient, uh, and that's how we close the loop. So it really, there's complexity there because it does require us to engage the hospital, the, the patient, the nursing home, but that's also in part what makes us so sticky. Uh, once yeah. we Once we're in place, it's we've aligned all these three users in their workflow, and so it becomes very difficult for others to come in and, and introduce a new product or or whatnot because we're so embedded.
0: You said it in their workflow. That's probably the the three most important words there because, as you say, you've solved the problem for people without having to change how they do their job. And it seems as well that you know, even looking at your website, when I go to products and I look at all the different things that that it does. It, it really seems to enable that continuity of care, which nobody is gonna, you know, turn their nose apart. That's exactly what everybody's trying to achieve, which is just the best care for the patient, right? And if what you're saying is, you know, for the if the electronic medical records are going to line up so that all the records go over and everything's organised and everything's optimised and we're collecting all these metrics and you know, it's <laughs> it all just seems quite seamless and it's and, I, and again like there's. There is simplicity in how that appears, but there's so much complexity right. in how you get that done. And I think, right. as, you, as you quite rightly say, that's that's clearly what the I imagine that's that's clearly what the customers and the users of this entire system are saying.
1: Right. That's that's I find that a lot of the best businesses that I encounter are ones where it's so simple, or it seems like why, yeah. why haven't we done that? I mean, it's so obvious. In retrospect, right? Yeah. But then you, but then you sort of look under the hood, and there's, um, there's a lot of complexity that has been, uh, has been managed to make 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 it all work to make it look so, yeah. uh, so simple. But uh, it was definitely helpful when I was pitching to venture capitalists on 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 my idea that that there are so many analogs to. Yelp, Open Table, Airbnb, and uh, and so they understood the network type of business that yeah, I was building, true. and could could understand how that would apply to healthcare.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to talk to you about the 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 raising money journey, and I, I gather that you guys were acquired as well, and so there's there's obviously mm-hmm. a lot to your your journey, which is really cool. Tell me about the the kind of raising money. I imagine, I mean, looking at <laughs> hearing your background so far, you know, MD, MBA from Harvard Business School, I, I doubt many investors ignored your emails. I could be wrong, but yeah, tell me what it was like and, and yeah, the whole, you know, the raising money journey and then up to the, the acquisition.
1: Well, raising money, I think, is always difficult. I think that, um, I think that it's so much about finding the right fit. You know, I think people think that all I need is the money. And and once I have the money, then then I can go forth and, and, and conquer. And I think that what people should be very cognizant of is that your investors are are also your partners and they they're owners of the company right and so you have to really align with investors that one believe in you as the entrepreneur two believe in the space as much as you do and then also on top of that align with with what the future of this company could be and so for me um i i found a lot of investors that were uh were certainly Open to writing a check, Uh, but I took my time, just having heard from other entrepreneurs to find people that uh, that I felt like was a really good fit, and and I think that's something that you also uh, learn over time uh, when you talk with more seasoned entrepreneurs is that finding that fits really important, and that's a long way of saying when the Allscripts offer came along for the acquisition, and my my investors knew that I was very interested in how do I scale this company quickly? And obviously one path to scaling this company quickly is raising a whole boatload of money yeah, and this is hiring, it. hiring hundreds of people versus plugging into uh, a company that already had
0: hospitals
1: and put po- exactly distribution, how quickly that could go. Um, that is, that's the type of uh, those are some of the trade-offs that, that you want to be aligned with your investors for. And so when, the scripts offer came because I had taken the time to find investors that I felt were aligned with my vision, that I, uh, that I had that fit with the, the, the Allscripts conversation was in many ways already sort of teed up. And so, um, so that's sort of the importance, I think, of making sure that not only you have the, 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 the capital, um, but, but that relationship, that fit and that alignment early on.
0: Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And so, when it comes to scale, then now, now that you've gone mm-hmm. through that acquisition and obviously making use of those distribution mechanisms, etc., what kind of scale have you achieved so far?
1: So we have grown in in leaps and bounds. Uh, we are now in over a thousand hospitals across Oof. the U.S. Over you know over a hundred thousand different types of post-acute care providers, ranging wow. from facility based care to, to home based care we we connect we we process something like 18 million referrals through our system wow. so awesome amazing so it's it's an it's at it's at national scale and it's in large hospitals it's in small hospitals um small mom and pop post acute care providers large national yeah. chain so it's it's been incredible it's been incredible and, and when how long ago only,
0: was the uh was the pitching competition that you pitched this as an idea how how, how many years has it been
1: 2012 so so Oof. it's been just about 8 years yeah wow. and uh and and i mean it's been it's been an amazing journey when when you're growing like that you know, you're hiring people, you're building the team, you're building the product, the customer base. It's been, um, it's been amazing. And, and we still, the best part of it, the best part of it, James, is that in many ways, my entire team still thinks that the best days are ahead because in the United States, we're at this point where there's, there's, you know, what we call baby boomers, the, the folks that are aging into Medicare, becoming seniors, And they have more and more need for services like ours. We're seeing the payment model shift towards more and more value-based payment. And so hospitals, as well as insurance companies, are more interested in what happens to these patients longitudinally. Um, The government has come out with regulations that, that, that are around interoperability that try to tie together different settings of care, that which play very nicely to some of what our products do, and so, um, so it's been, it's been amazing, and 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 my team, even post acquisition, are still motivated and excited for, um, for 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 what what is to come.
0: I was going to ask you about motivation. Actually, um, I've spoken mm-hmm. about this actually on a few on a few podcasts recently. I know that there's it's it's often easier when you're really patient facing that you've got you know those direct yeah. patient stories that you can share with the team and all and all those different things. You're kind of smoothing a process that leads to patients getting better care and things like that. I mean. Is that what still gets you up in the morning? I mean, how do you how do you find motivating your team to still solve this problem and scale and, and all those types of things?
1: I think it definitely gets harder the bigger that you get. Yeah. I mean, it's very different when it was me and you know five other people and we were all all early evangelist believers, yeah. if you will, yeah. versus now you know we're over we're two hundred people and. Oof. And we're distributed, and so it definitely becomes chall- more challenging to um, to make sure that every hire that you you bring onto your team is motivated and bought into that vision, that they care about the space that that you so passionately care about. And a lot of it, I think, in terms of sustaining that excitement and motivation, has been um, well. You definitely can't do it on your own. I mean, you need to hire. Uh, people, leaders in the company that that have the same values, that are excited by the same mission, and then giving them the autonomy to hire people under them that also buy into the mission, that also have the same vision of healthcare. So, it, it really is all of it. I mean, people say this all the time, and I used to think it was such just corporate, you know, corporate speak, <laughs> but it really comes down to the team that you have and hiring the right people and giving them the independence, the, 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 the autonomy to build out their team with the same DNA. I mean, that's how you sort of propagate that culture. Um, It definitely starts at the top. uh, But I would say the way that it gets sustained is through Every layer of the organization. I mean, you, you can't be everywhere to and be everything to everybody. And so, the people that you bring onto your team are, are just so important. Yeah. I can't emphasize that enough.
0: And it's a tough gig hiring. It's just it is so tough. I mean, we're going through yeah. it at the moment trying to think about how we bring in you know the first full hires and how we incentivize those people and how, and and as you quite rightly put it, how you really get them. In the same DNA, and and you, you almost have to create the DNA of the company with those people, and so those decisions right. become so important. You know, those those first three, four, five people that you're going to set the culture with, and all those different things. It's um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time for a company at the beginning to be doing that, but then obviously to to then. Have to let go on stage further to empower right. those people to bring in the same culture of, of the people that they hire and to try and do it their way. It's it, it's interesting as things scale. And so, right. I guess my so my question now would be in in terms of the company and, and what you're looking to do in future. What's, what's next? I mean, you've alluded to the fact that obviously politically and in terms of the, uh, the space that you're in and the levers that you're going to be able to pull, it seems like you're in a really good spot to make some serious impact with this going forward. And you know, a thousand hospitals later, you're definitely making an impact already. I mean, what do, what do you think the future of, of Careport is, but also the space and, and all the different things that, that the company's part of?
1: We see ourselves as very much the connectors of all of the post-hospital, ex-hospital, however you want to say it, uh, services that, that patients need. And as patients who are going to the hospitals are older, are sicker, have more need for services, we see that as a space that will continue to be very important for, for patients and their outcomes. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on between the hospital and the physician's office. There's so many of these other settings of care that are that are critically important to what ultimately happens to that patient, the visiting nurse that comes into that patient's yeah. home every week, right? The, the Whether or not they have a wheelchair um, at home and, you know, how their home is set up, uh, the nursing home that they're in and the quality of that nursing home. And so... We see ourselves as being the conduit, the connector, uh, the connective tissue for all of those ex-hospital, ex-physician office uh, services that that patients need and and setting those patients up with the right services, making sure that there's a good match between the patient and the post-hospital provider, and then continuing to track and follow these patients as they move between these different ancillary care services so that we have data, you know, now we have massive amounts of data to really truly be able to understand where patients do best and what are the right services that a patient needs. And we hope that by having more and more patients go through our system, we're going to be able to make the journey for every single one of those successive patients that goes through our systems better matched and uh, and ultimately lead to better outcomes, not just for the patient. I mean, certainly the patient is the most important part of everything that we're doing, but also for the providers uh, that are on either side of our network.
0: Amazing. And my final question, Lucy, would be, would be what's next for you? I mean, you've achieved so much in your life so far, so quickly. Um, And obviously from, from Harvard to this company and it being a, a, you know, a success, I doubt you're going to be a one hit wonder. I imagine there's going to be plenty of of things you're going to achieve in your life. I mean, what do you, what do you think is next for you? What would you, what would you like to achieve?
1: I think that for me, I'm, so fortunate because I think a lot of people whose companies that get acquired, they they they're there for you know a year or two and then they're they're off to to their next thing. Yeah. I think for me, because I still see so much potential at Careport,
0: yeah. I, I don't
1: I don't think my work's done. I I want to continue to bring all these important services to patients so that they stay out of the hospital so that they can stay home and and recover and not have to bounce back to the hospital. Um I see the need growing. Uh, and so for me, I think I' you know I'm still having fun. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, I almost I surprise myself a little bit because I think like I said, the the norm, the more the more traditional path of an entrepreneur is they start a company, they sell it and then they go off and do their next thing and yeah. for me i i feel fortunate that i still think that there's there's so much to do and i'm still having fun doing it and
0: i you know i and i believe you as well about the fact that you you're making impact still and you can tell that that's you know when you say it's not done it's because you're you're still it sounds like you you're still on the steep part part of the curve like you're still yeah. you're still literally making so much ground in making people's lives better and actually when i think i'd say somewhere near 100 percent of the people on this podcast are impact driven uh, the ones that come on i think you're probably the same that if you're making that impact it would it would be strange to then try and do something Different for for different reasons, and and you'd struggle to find something, I suppose, in the same sector that that was as good. So I suppose why not stay and continue to make that impact, right? And 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 I also like the fact that you also said that you're still having fun as well, and that is that is an individual thing. If you're still enjoying yourself and you're seeing your baby grow here, the company that you right. that was just an idea in your mind, and you're you're now seeing the name in lights and all these different things. That is fun, and that's okay. But similarly, right. you're also making a, a shed load of impact. So good for you. And um yeah, long may it continue from my from my side.
1: Yeah, you know, that's the first time I've sort of I think I've said it that way. I've been asked this question a a, a number of times, you know, why are you still here? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, how
0: big big's your earn out? How many years you gotta stay?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um but that really is how I feel, that I'm not that my work's not done. And um and uh, you know, I haven't said that before, but when I when I when I answered it. It, it, uh, it sort of, it's sort of what's been swirling in my, in my, in my yeah. mind for a, a long time. It sort of sums up a lot of what I'm I'm feeling and still thinking is that uh, I'm not done and I still have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of impact to your point that I, that I feel like I can still deliver and, and, and bring to, to the patient that I originally came to medicine to, to serve.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And I'm going to say this one last time, but subtly proving the value of an MD MBA program, (laughs) which I definitely think needs to be actioned here in the UK, but I will start lobbying for that straight after this call. I think I'll do that in my own time, not on yours, but, um, Lissy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for coming. It's um, It's been wonderful hearing about your background. It's wonderful hearing about the success of your company. And as I said, long may it continue. And the way that we end these podcasts is I just hand back over to you to summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about what you're doing at Careport, and to to finish off with any asks you might have of our audience. So by all means, take it away.
1: Uh, well, thanks so much, James. It was really a pleasure talking with you today. And my name is Dr. Lissy Hu, and I am a physician entrepreneur, the CEO and founder of CarePort. And what I do is connect patients with all of their post-hospital services that they need, whether it be nursing homes, home health agencies, all of the different services that patients need to get well and stay well. And I guess my ask of your audience would be that a lot of folks see entrepreneurship as risky, as, as scary. And I would say to them that, uh, that being an entrepreneur is a risk worth taking because every day you get to go to work, doing something, working on something that you care about and you can have a big impact on patients on on providers on the entire healthcare system if you just keep at it
0: amazing thank you so much thanks hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode remember to subscribe rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content